0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly. Written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Hello, friend. It is the first of June. Can you even believe it? Oh my goodness. I love (laughs) when I get to open a month with you. I love that our podcast today falls on June 1. I get to start the month with you. So we are going to step in to June very quietly and pray that she will be kind to us because I need a good month. Hey, if you have not gotten tickets yet, I am speaking with Beth Moore. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited about it. I get to speak with Beth Moore on June 9 and 10 in D.C. at National Church of God. You can order tickets by going to www.lproof.org slash events. You can also just click the link in my show notes. I will make sure it's available. But I am so excited to speak with Beth at a Living Proof live event. Please come. Would love to meet you in person. We have an excellent show today. It is part two of our two-part pod class. I think I need a therapist. You know, the percentage of adults getting mental health treatment increased from 19.2% in 2019 to 21.6% in 2021, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And of those most likely to get help for mental health are women and young people. So I just am grateful that you have been tuning into this series. And as we finish the series today, make sure that you pause the episode and share it with a friend. A pod class works best when we can learn and discuss the information with someone else. So I'm really glad that you are listening alone, but my goodness, this is really supposed to be designed and that's why we're doing these pod classes so that we can learn in groups. Remember that episode that we did on the image of God? You were created in the image of a relational God. May we take opportunities to engage in relationship and growth with one another. Okay, first, before we get to today's conversation, it's time for Social Toolkit. This is where we discuss practical tips and best practices for entering the chat. Today, you know who I'm going to, my one and only social media expert, Brady Shearer. Brady Shearer is the director of Pro Church Tools and church software platform Nucleus. His work focuses on helping churches navigate the biggest communication shift in five Hundred years. Brady, I saw a reel that you did on criticism and how it affects you personally. I actually just got a DM about this the other day where somebody said, Heather, I had my first troll. What do I do? How can creators better navigate the criticism that comes with creating?
2: Well, the first is just set the expectation that you will be criticized Mm. and you will receive comments that are hurtful, upsetting, frustrating. It's kind of just par for the course uh, when you are creating online. And so kind of recognizing that and being aware. uh, And then when it happens, you don't, like, react to it and be like, oh, what have I done wrong? Like, oh, clearly mm-hmm. this is, you know, because I am, am not great. At- and when you're just starting, you don't really have, like, a body of work to, like, convince you that you are doing something that's worthwhile, right? And we talk about imposter syndrome. Like, the earlier you are in the journey, the more likely uh, a wave or a single comment of criticism is going to, like, really uh, rock the boat. So for me, uh, one of the principles that I try to exercise is increasing the gap between the stimulus and the response. Um, meaning, the stimulus is that like gut feeling you have right away when you read the comment and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't like this at all. And the longer that you can increase the gap between when you first feel that to when you actually decide to respond, almost always, the better your response is going to be. Uh, but I also try to take criticism for the most part like as a gift. Uh, because sometimes... What people will say online, they will never say in person. I'll give you a great example. Early on in my uh, video creating journey, I would get comments about my eyebrows. So people would say like, hey, dude, do you bleach your eyebrows? Or (laughs) why did you shave your eyebrows? Where are your eyebrows? Um, You know, sometimes inferring things about my sexuality. Sometimes, let's say, because, you know, that's just what YouTube is. And at first I was like, oh, what a hurtful thing. I can't control my eyebrows. And then I was like, (laughs) wait a minute, my eyebrows are like extremely blonde, invisible on camera with lights. And my oh. hair is not that blonde. And I was like, oh, what's, what, what can you do? And then my wife was like, just get them tinted, sweetie. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you just go, go go to the spa, just get them tinted. I go and get my nails done, they just do the tinting. It takes like 10 minutes, do it twice a week. And then your eyebrows will match your hair. And I was like, I oh, didn't know that was possible. So now I get my eyebrows tinted <laughs> twice a week. Thank Lord for those negative comments, because they spurred me to actually yeah. do something that I now I prefer. I never even saw out to myself in the mirror, you know, I just I never would have even considered it. And then on a more serious level, you know, I, I'm 32. I've been publishing, you know, writing podcast videos online for 10 years. So since I was in my early 20s, and, you know, this type of comment I've seen lately from people is like, you know, Braid, I've been following you for all these years and your your voice has really matured. I I, I feel like you've taken to heart some criticism and feedback and, and gotten your eyebrows tinted. No, no, seriously. You've <laughs> taken some of the criticism and feedback and it has informed how you write and how you talk. Hmm. And that was really... True, because when I would get criticism, again, if I can increase the gap between the stimulus and the response, then I can hopefully receive any of the truth that's in there uh, and reject anything that's untrue and hopefully become a better communicator, become a better writer, become a more mature leader. Because one of the benefits of online feedback is it is very, very uncensored. And just straightforward, there is usually no like couching it in, oh, you know, a little bit of a disclaimer right. or caveat. No, no, it's their fault. You're, you're always great. And uh, I think separating your own self-worth from your work is is crucial for this as well. You know, what you do isn't who you are. So if someone criticizes something I say, it's like, okay, great. Let's criticize the idea. That's absolutely great. You know, if someone criticizes you as a human, usually uh, I'm I'm just going to like slough that off and not consider it because I don't think that person's probably you know, acting in good faith in that respect. Um, so hopefully there are a couple of principles that you can pull from. If nothing else, get your eyebrows tinted, people. It's, it's doable, it's okay. right? Like, it's great. Thank you.
1: Do you read the comments?
2: Oh, yeah. I, and I respond to almost every comment too. So, well, not everyone at this point, but read virtually everyone, yeah.
1: So you would advise us to read our comments.
2: Sure. Yeah. Unless unless it's hurting, you know, your own self-worth and mental health, you know, if if you're having trouble with that, maybe take a step back and look at increasing that gap between the stimulus and and response. But, uh, you know, otherwise go for it.
1: Thank you so much, Brady, for helping us navigate our social toolkit. Today's episode, we get to sit down with my real life friend, Sarah Bontrager. Sarah Bontrager is a licensed marriage and family therapist and assistant professor of psychology at Colorado Christian University and a PhD student in philosophy of performance psychology. She is a Colorado native and lives in Golden with her husband of 22 years, Dr. Jeff Bontrager, and their four children, Ethan Sam, Benjamin, and Isabella. Sarah has been in private practice since 2008 and is passionate about engaging authentically with relevant pressing mental health and faith issues with teens, athletes, families, couples, and children. Her specialties include working with depression and anxiety, life stage adjustments, performance issues, faith questions, parenting, trauma, grief, and family relationships. Sarah's son, Ben, is recovering from a cancer diagnosis, and you will hear us discuss that in this conversation. I was not going to bring it up because I know how painful that season and situation is for her family, but she brought it up, and it was really gracious, I think, of her to share that piece of her heart with you because she's not just a therapist, She's also a mom, navigating a very difficult diagnosis. And also there's, there's a moment in my conversation with Sarah where she tells a story about pleading with God while she's in her son's hospital room. And I haven't stopped thinking about it since she shared it. And I just want you to know that I believe her. I believe the story that she's about to tell, and I am I'm inspired by her faith. And I am humbled and honored to share this very intimate conversation with you. So, I love to start these interviews by sharing something that the person I'm talking to has posted online. And so, this is actually a Bible verse that you posted, but I want to read the caption with it. But so everybody understands the Bible verse is Psalm 18:2. And it says, He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. And then, Sarah, here's the caption that you put: You said, I'm learning that healing isn't linear back and forth, sideways sometimes, all kinds of wonky, but Mm -hmm. even then, movement is progress. Can you talk Mm -hmm. to us about that a little bit for the person right now who feels like, I should be further in this journey. Why am I still being upset about something I thought I had healed from a couple months ago? What would you say to them?
3: Oh, I mean, I could talk about this from several different angles. You're aware of some of it. The last three and a half to four years for our family has been All kinds of wonky, all kinds of sideways, and there's no way we could have predicted the train that came running down that track for my family in 2019. Maybe you felt this way too. I guess I felt like I had a pretty straight path in front of me. I just started teaching at CCU and gone back to work after my youngest went to school, feeling like, okay, we made it through that season, that season. I'm a very seasoned person.
1: Mm. here,
3: Here we go, here we go. And then it was quickly apparent that my season was running off the tracks really quickly. Um, And so, what I've learned about that is several things that are hard to talk about still because they make me emotional, but
1: Mm.
3: mostly it's because Jesus turned out to be exactly who he said he was in my life. I became a Christian when I was five. My mom grew up in a cult, so, my parents raised us as new believers. So I knew the Lord, loved the Lord my whole life, but in 2019, when everything started running off the rails, I had the opportunity to practice, believe, and trust my faith in ways I never had before. And it's changed everything, is the truth. It's changed everything.
1: Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that when you say mm-hmm. you found that Jesus was exactly who he said he was? What what does that look like for you? Or what do you what comes to mind as
3: you say that phrase? Yeah. Um, well, you know, when you're growing up in the church, you feel, uh, I was the youth group kid, the worship leader, the women's ministry leader, the Bible study leader, I've done all of those things. And with great intention, I think, good meaning behind it, Um, went to a Christian college, went to a Christian graduate program, I'm now going to a Christian PhD program, you know, felt like I put the package together in a really good, healthy way, and with all good intention. Um, Benjamin's cancer diagnosis, my dad's Parkinson's diagnosis, my own diagnosis came with an opportunity, we'll say, to be in the ditch with Jesus. You know that mm. meme, that reel where the sheep keeps jumping back in yes. the separate
1: <laughs> Yes, he gets out and he runs right back in.
3: <sighs> yes, and he just keeps diving back in because thinking oh, I can control this, I can figure this out. And the moment it became clear to me was the day we were sitting at Children's in January 3rd, 2020, right before COVID hit, when the oncologist said, Sarah, is that a calendar in your lap? And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, um, that's not how this works. I'm going to need you to put your calendar away and Mm -hmm. all of your expectations about the next year of your life and live by faith that we have you, we have Benjamin, and we will take the best care of him, but you will not be able to plan one moment of this experience. And she was right. She was right. So that's when it just really, not to be overly dramatic, but that's when it just became evident to me that the Lord was going to teach me something that all along the way I thought I was learning. I was trying you know, my best to I don't know what the right way to say it is, but just be in it with Jesus, you know, be in life with Jesus. This was totally different. Fast forward, you know, eight weeks when COVID hit and Jeff is an ICU hospitalist (laughs) and he was in lockdown because of um, needing to stay safe for uh, him and his patients and us needing to keep Benjamin safe. Benjamin
1: is Sarah's son for people who don't know that, um, who was diagnosed with cancer.
3: Our 10-year-old. It just was so evident to me so quickly that God was in the most mysterious, loving, profound way going to show me a whole nother side of my faith that I hadn't experienced before. Nobody wants to do cancer again. Nobody wants to do any of this again. But I would never change what I've learned about who he is. Never. Never. And I don't think Benjamin would either, having gone through even the chemo and all of the post-treatment that we're still in. I think he knows Jesus. We know Jesus in a totally different way.
1: And I wasn't going to even bring any of this up. I just wanted yeah. to know that. But I, I, I'm i just curious, what were some of the examples, just for those of us who are listening, who maybe has a friend going through their own cancer journey or a family member, Yeah. what are some of the helpful things people said or did mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. of the not so helpful things yeah. people said or did that maybe we can
3: try to avoid, even if we have good intentions as we're doing it or saying it. Mm -hmm. So many people did so many things with great intentions. My mom helped me say, give them the benefit of the doubt. They don't know what to do. You know, so she was right behind me saying, just keep giving people the benefit of the doubt. Even when I would be like, please don't say that, or please don't do that. Or Uh it was weird things. I couldn't be home for most of those six months. And so it was weird things like I'd walk into my house and there'd be food in my fridge and, and things in my room that I didn't know where they came from. And I'd be like, who's in my house? It was very, this weird mix of like feeling anxious about my life being out of control, mm. really. And not being able to be there for my other kids and being like, who fed my kids today? You know? Mm. So most of it was done with such great intention. There were a few weird things that happened. The principal of my daughter's school said, some people just want to be close to things when they're happening. So let us help you set boundaries when it doesn't feel loving or right. Let us just help you let your community. And boy, did they surrounded the, our family with protection, you know, because you never know. Some people can right. get a little
1: strange around things. Mm. I am like really impressed by that principle.
3: Oh, she's incredible. Saying that to you. That mm-hmm. is so wise. She just kept saying, I got it. I got it. Let me handle this. All the principals of all the three schools that our other kids were in did the same thing for us and our church and our friends. So it was allowing people to love and hold me in a way that I had never been loved and held and seen before. We needed Mm -hmm. every meal, every day, every coffee card, every prayer every to get us through. I mean, he was was critically ill. And so we needed everything that everybody provided for us. And then as he got better, I needed to go to therapy and figure out how to not be a therapist but lean into therapy. I wanted to ask you about that tension, yeah. actually.
1: What was that like as yeah. a therapist? Because here, you know the strategies, <laughs> you know the tools, and you're, you're telling people every day, here's what you need, right? Were you able to put yes. that into practice for yourself yes. in that yeah. time that you needed it? Yeah. Or what did it feel like it's happening to somebody mm-hmm. else? What was that like for you?
3: Great question. It was complicated. And it, it took me about six months after we got home that fall, and getting back into normal routines and can figure out his post chemo treatments for me to feel like I could even do something like that but it became quickly apparent with my anxiety and depression symptoms and le- mm. and sleeping problems that the trauma of that time period was real for me it was real for our other kids and I found um just the most the smartest kindest and I'm a loud Italian girl. So I needed somebody that was going to be like, just, you know, get in there with me. <laughs> and, just
1: Sarah, I do that with my therapist. I tell her, I'm like, I, not that I want you to hurt my feelings, but I, I want help. Like I want to be redirected. I want you yeah, to stop me, yeah. interrupt.
3: Yes. I want that aggressive therapy. <laughs> oh, it was aggressive. I mean, I'm flopping around on the couch. She's throwing pillows. We're yelling at each other. <laughs> it was just incredibly deeply, beautifully helpful to be with somebody and i'm still my therapist and so we did cancer and trauma for six months that's all we did and then we gently kind of moved and as that was healing you know from a clinical perspective as trauma heals then your brain opens up those neural pathways to other things Mm -hmm. you can pay attention to and then just gently over the last two years we've just been addressing other things other things that got me into that what i call Mm -hmm. tangled place that i have been in um and slowly helped me. The book I want to write after my dissertation is called Mm. Untangling. (laughs) Like just pulling apart some of the things that had me so knotted up in my ability to trust, uh, trust my journey, if that makes sense.
1: Well, what would you say to somebody right now that is in that knot? What would the first step of untangling? I just think Pain and trauma and all those things are so different. I really think for a Christian, because Mm -hmm. at least for me, like I will then feel guilty for feeling bad, or I'm not being faithful enough that I'm even processing that I'm hurt at God over this. Like how do, what is the first step for the Christian in trying to untangle all of that?
3: My brain goes two different directions. One is the uh, clinical direction of the trans theoretical model of change. Okay. And in order to change a behavior, we have to become even aware that it's a problem. Mm. As if, like if somebody wanted to stop smoking, let's say, or eat healthier or begin an exercise program because it would be better for their body and their heart and their mind. But before they are even aware it's a problem, they don't know they even need to change, Mm. right? So that model says we need to become aware and then we can start working the steps up to three, four, five. It overlaps really beautifully with the AA program How do then I become, how do I forgive myself, move forward in freedom and start to practice that, you know, day in and day out. And it becomes a part of my life. That's where I would say therapy helped me move from pre-aware, model of change calls pre-awareness to, oh, now I'm aware how this has tangled me and been a problem. I am a two on the Enneagram and a people pleaser at the finest. Mm, mm. (laughs) And that has what got me into so much trouble. So that perspective is the clinical one. And the other one I would say for the Christian, and this could sound cheesy, but it's true to my bones, so I'll say it. Jesus wants so much more freedom for us than we offer ourselves. Mm. His love is so much more intimate, fine-tuned, purposeful, and direct to our personalities and to who we are than I even understood before going through such acute suffering And I hope this story will be encouraging to people. But when I knew that was on the third night of Ben being in the hospital, we knew what kind of cancer he was, but they hadn't given us the answer, will he, will he live or will he die? That was, Mm. there was about 48 hours where we didn't know. And I was in the room and I hadn't slept. I don't really think slept in about three days. So I was out of it. And you know, those Mm. hospital beds, how they're like hot and sticky and (laughs) plastic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was a mess. (laughs) And rolling around at one or two o'clock in the morning, there's machines everywhere. It's, you know, we're beeping, we're crying. I'm alone with Ben in the room for the first time. And I said to Jesus, I can do this if I know that you are who you say you are. And if you just show me that you're here, I can do anything. But I just need to know that the last 42 years were true. Does that make sense? Yes, And in a few seconds, five-ish seconds, I looked over to the left to Benjamin's hospital bed where all the machines were. And as real as you are sitting in front of me, he, Jesus, was sitting on the right-hand corner of Ben's bed with his arms folded in a very relaxed position with his legs hanging over the left side of Ben's bed. I didn't really see the face but my spirit knew it was wow. Him. I'll never forget it. And then I turned away and I looked back and it was gone. But I remember thinking, I know that was you. Thank uh-huh. you for showing me that you're here. I believe this. And oh boy, this probably is a story I'm going to have to tell again. Right. <laughs> and then I slept for the first time in 3 days.
1: Oh my goodness. For,
3: you know, 4 or 5 hours and woke up and went to it. That moment of five seconds has changed me forever. I I just will always be so grateful that he sent himself to that moment of just utter desperation.
1: Here's what I, my spirit loves about that story is nothing necessarily changed. Mm-mm. Right? Mm-mm. God was there the entire time. Yep. And you didn't get any answers no. other than yeah. I'm here with you. And that was enough. That mm-hmm. is so powerful, Sarah. And I hope somebody <laughs> who's listening, yeah. who maybe you're not going to physically see it, can you take Sarah's word for it, that he is with you right where you are, even if you don't see it, trust her eye, borrow hers. Yeah. Yeah right? Borrow her story and know that he does not play favorites and he is with you in the same way that he was with her family. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome for sharing that story. <laughs> We're doing a pod class series right now called, I think I need a therapist. Yep. So I'm going to ask you to put on your therapist hat. What should be the first sign for somebody listening? Who's like been debating. I think I need to talk to somebody. And I'm going to tell you this. Let me give you some context in case there's people, um, similar to me that are listening. Sounds good. I really struggled in going to therapy, Mm -hmm. not because I don't believe in therapy, but because I just felt like there's so many people who have way worse things going on. Mm -hmm. And so I Mm -hmm. almost felt like selfish or narcissistic or something to sit down and talk about myself. And so I was telling my mom, like, I want clearer vision over my life, but I also feel like, you know, maybe this isn't big enough, the things that I'm going through to see a therapist. And my mom said... So, what if you're not like going to therapy? What if you're just making a single appointment? Mm-hmm. Have one appointment, mm-hmm. and because I did that one mm-hmm. appointment, of course, now I've been in for two years. <laughs> oh, but so, what would you say to somebody who's maybe yeah. like me yeah. and they're they're trying to weigh out is this is this even necessary for mm-hmm. me right now? What's your response?
3: It's so unfortunate as the best word I can think of right now that as Christians we have this complicated relationship with therapy. Yes. But it makes sense to me when I can give it some space because we have done sometimes same thing with like the medical community or the education Mm. system. There's mistrust of what is overlapping. I developed a real sense of peace for this when I was in graduate school pursuing what I thought was going to be a a degree in uh, school psychology because my first degree is in elementary education. And I thought I would go on to be a school psychologist. Oh, interesting.
1: I didn't know that.
3: But I ended up in this marriage and family therapy program that changed my whole life and taught me not only do we have the benefit of access to, you know, 200 plus years of clinical psychology information, we also have the benefit of Thousands of years before that, a God who made us, knows us, and created yes. psychology for us to discover. Yes, yes. My husband, Jeff, who I said is a physician, and I think about this the same way medicine and the study of medicine and the human body and anatomy was created for us to discover. In my mind, so is space, so is the earth, so, you know, all of those different things. Yeah. I believe the same thing about psychology. All truth is rooted in what God meant for us to discover about our mental health anyway medication can be a part of that journey for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, but not always. Mm -hmm. And it's our job to present to somebody who can love and care for us well, like I've done with therapy, you've done with therapy, I get to do for my patients all the time, our students, right? We do it all the time. Yes, We can show up in ways for their mental health that other people just can't do. I get to do that as a job. And it is a privilege to present the foundation of my faith with what I've learned about and discovered about God's psychology, mix that with what we know from the you know clinical side of the DSM, the book we use to make diagnoses if we need to, and turn that into a beautiful, it's complicated, I get it, but a beautiful presence of mind to let people get better. We know way too much about the statistics around depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and suicidality and addiction mm-hmm. and you name it in the church. The statistics don't lie. The data doesn't lie that just as many people in the church are struggling with depression, anxiety, and addiction and pornography as people outside the yeah. church. So to find a provider that can give you both that biblical foundation, God's truth, and speak that over you and information about your physical body and what you might need to get better, uh, there's nothing better in my mind than those two things that are coming together.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19 and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org viraljesus today.
1: As I was creating questions, trying to think about this conversation, and I pray over um, the conversations I'm going to have with people, something that kept coming to my mind. So I really think this is for somebody listening that I want to ask you. Um, What is it about life transitions that can create... Anxiety within us. Mm -hmm. How can we? Somebody right now that's listening is about to start a new job or about to move or leaving a community of faith that they've been a part of for years and years and years. And there's all of this, even Mm -hmm. if it's a good thing, right? And yet there can be fear that happens with that. Talk to me about what's happening through life transitions and what are some things we can do
3: to help us navigate those seasons of life? Well, this kind of goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago with the model of change, and it's becoming aware of how you're actually feeling about that change. Mm. And then layering, I'm a theories person. I love a good theory. So Me then layering, um Kubler-Ross's work over that with the grief. Mm. One of the things that I get to do over and over and over with my clients is say, how is this experience, this next set of changes, like you're talking through, how have you acknowledged that the change needs to happen? Then we can change it. Grieved that things are changing for better, for worse, Mm. right? Sat in that grief and really let God, this this is kind of what I'm saying about Jesus, really let him get in there and, you know, mess with you on it. (laughs) Yeah. And um, fight for you and love you in there. And then maybe bounce back and forth between being angry That things are changing, a little bit Mm -hmm. sad. Maybe some depression sets in, according to her model on um, the grief cycle. Maybe even bouncing back to grief again and some anxiety about the whole thing. And then moving back through the circle even more quickly, this time to acceptance. Back to the quote from my website that kind of process isn't linear. I know you've heard other therapists say this on your podcast. I've heard them say, Beth talked about this, and some of the other pastors. Um, Mutamale, I think he talked about this. Okay. Yeah. um, On a podcast I heard recently, that we have to keep circling, keep circling, keep Mm. keep circling through this in order to spend what I say to my clients is spend more time in the acceptance later down the road. But let's not Mm. shame ourselves for needing to spend time in this other part of the circle because those are the parts that heal the deep questions we have, the wounds that we have, the fear that we have, and then we go to acceptance and do it again and do it again. So not shaming that process or like um, a lot of people say, don't should on yourself (laughs) to stay in one part.
1: I don't know what it is because I struggle with that personally (laughs) a lot. And I've told my own therapist, like I will have a negative thought spiral and then get stuck in the shame, judging myself of, oh, like you should be further than this. How come you're still feeling jealous? How come you're still feeling bitter? How come you're so angry? Can you explain to me why it (laughs) is that it is unhealthy Mm -hmm. to shame ourselves in a response? What is it about that process that doesn't help us
3: in the long run? I don't want to say, I think it's Satan's favorite joke on us. Oh, really? I do. I think he knows that we are sensitive to shame as humans. And he knows if I can keep her shamed, if I can keep her embarrassed about that feeling, then I can keep her right there. And she'll be busy, distracted, and not pay attention to where that God could take us if we Mm. let some of that go, if we let some of that slough off. It's like a bad friendship with Satan sometimes when he is getting in our ear, plugging away at our spirit, trying to take us down that path of self-doubt, insecurity. You're the perfect example of this. When I've watched you you know, come to this place of confidence over the last two or three years, just online, um, I've only gotten to watch this, but I just think now that's a girl who has started to see who she really is in Jesus mm. and feel that to her toes and know who she is and not let Satan trick you all the time. Mm. That, I do. I think that's how, especially women today, I think that's how he holds our feet. And so our job is to recognize it, say it for what it is, grieve the fact that things have happened or we're frustrated, and then be honest about that with Jesus. Spend time in the word then to get his truth poured over our spirits Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that we can move forward in confidence. Um, I'm going to get this wrong. Ephesians 5 or Galatians 5, I get it mixed up. It's somewhere in there, friend. Paul or Peter said (laughs) it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. Mm. And a couple years ago I was like, well, but that's too simple. Read it again. It is for freedom, freedom in this area, this area, this Mm. area, this area, this area. The tangling I'm talking about is so different from deconstructing my faith. I'm talking about reconstructing a new kind of attachment to Jesus. Does that make sense? It does absolutely okay. make sense. Okay. I, I wanted to ask okay.
1: you this too. How yeah. do we recognize the difference between like, am I struggling with clinical depression or mm-hmm. is this just situational depression? How do yeah. we recognize that?
3: Well, then we get into a conversation around neurobiology as a clinical psychotherapist, almost psychologist, finally. Um, we have to acknowledge- the <laughs> that's well, a testimony there. <laughs> 45 and walking through the door. That's right. That's right. That's um, right. I, we have to acknowledge the, bio, uh, so our department and my friends and my, all my therapist friends and all of us at CCU, we take the biopsychosocial approach. So this will be helpful for people who understand. We look at the biology of the human body, the sociology of the system that they're in, and then the study of clinical psychology and layer those on top of each other for me as a christian practitioner then layering biblical truth around that at the same time the biological piece of that for depression or anxiety specifically is do you have too much serotonin or not enough serotonin do you have too much norepinephrine you know all these neurotransmitters that are essential to our mental health we can't look past the data and the you know the biological studies and what they tell us about that I can't as a clinician that Mm. I have to pay attention to that. And that's where the conversation around medication comes in and how helpful those things are. So that's the biological piece. Then what you're asking the life piece is, are there things in my life? Are you in an abusive relationship? Are you in a spiritually abusive relationship? Are you in a community that's not supportive? Are you, um, doing things are you in addiction cycles that are you know making you depressed and the answer could be yes to lots of those things or it could be biological and genetic over 80% of disorders in mood disorders are passed down from parent to child and wow. grandparents to child so there's a lot of freedom in understanding the science and the biology of the body and then overlapping that with what else can i do yeah. how do I change my lifestyle? How do I get better sleep? How do I get some exercise? How do I take time that I need to spend in the word, be with friends, find healthier friendships? Don't get me started on that one. To give you life. You have spoken so much to that. How do I be around people that are not blowing smoke at me, right? but are loving me well, see me for who I am, ask me what I need and make me the healthier version of myself And then all of that, ideally, covered with that time spent in God's word so that I know the truth that he's calling me to, yeah, in the science of the whole thing and the sociology of the whole thing together, they work beautifully.
1: I have a question for you. Do you think that you will just stay in therapy forever? Do you think it's healthy for all of us, every single person listening, to just like have a therapist maybe that they have a relationship with? And maybe you're not seeing them every week, but... You're having that relationship where you're checking in. Mm -hmm. What should our relationship with therapy as human beings
3: look like? That's a great question. There's a couple different ways we can look at this. You know how somebody could have clinical depression that lasts their whole lifetime? We're talking about a major mood disorder or major depressive disorder where they need support for their whole lives. They're doing the best they can, but they always need somewhere to check in. That's one scenario. Maybe another scenario like mine where I was going every week for months on end to try to get Uh myself out of this hole. We've spaced Uh it out. Now I'm every other month. It feels right. I don't think I'll ever give up Kelly. Yeah, yeah. My Kelly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because I just, am so grateful for her, the sounding board that she has become in my life. I mean, maybe I'll let it go, but it feels right now for me to have spread that out. Now, when I'm teaching my classes and we're doing theories classes or clinical classes, I say it is not ethical. For a therapist to hold you in therapy longer than you need to be there. So if you feel like you're going to therapy and you're like, Mm. "Uh, I don't know what else to talk about, (laughs) then you're probably done and it's time to go. So Mm. we teach and I've learned in my own uh, education journey, it's not ethical to hold people in therapy longer than they need to be there, but I still need to be there. So Mm. I'm going to go for a while. I don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And it yeah totally fits with me. I wanted to ask
1: you too about anxiety. Mm-hmm. Well, first, I, I guess I should always start with how do we recognize anxiety? What mm-hmm. is anxiety within ourselves? And what are some strategies that we can mm-hmm.
3: implement to try to yeah. manage our anxiety? Well, I think anxiety can manifest in a lot of different ways. I know you know this already, but the physical pieces of it. In my practice, I see lots of heart palpitations, having trouble sleeping, Appetite, either you know more than normal or less than normal changes. Mood swings, crying a lot more than you're used to or not crying at all, You know, not letting those emotions out at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, sleep disruption, of course. Uh, not being able to focus and concentrate on things that you normally can. Read a book, watch a show, enjoying activities. So that's kind of the clinical list I run through okay. in my head. Stomach aches for kids. I see a lot of kids and teenagers. Tummy aches. Um, Uh, Headaches, uh, eyes like tingling in the hands, your eyes hurt behind your head, migraines, right? So these are all the things we look for physically. And then it's my job to figure out or help them figure out is that coming from a place, like I said, a biological, something's going on in your body. If the age of onset for these disorders is usually 18 to 23, are we in that window? Do we need to pay attention to that biological piece? Or Like in my circumstances, what's going on in your life that was just creating chaos in my mind so I couldn't sleep. And then the Mm -hmm. sleep started the panic attacks. And then the panic attacks started me down a path of, you know, constantly questioning my sanity. (laughs) So I had to pull that apart. We have to pull that apart clinically with the clients to figure out where it's stemming from. This other piece that I hope makes sense is sometimes the Holy Spirit is talking to you and you're pushing back against it and you don't want to listen and the anxiety is rising because you know it's time mm. to do the thing. Whatever it is. Yes. I, I just know so many
1: people are nodding their heads right now because we all, every Christian yes. knows what Ooh, that feels like where you feel God prompting you yeah. and you're like really yeah. later you know like I can't I can't deal with yes. that right now lord right? <laughs> but we always know when God is telling you to do something there's no better time to be obedient than when we're hearing him prompt
3: us in our hearts. Yeah, and that's where peace has a chance Mm. to move in. But it's so good to have a Christian counselor, a Christian therapist, a pastor sometimes, a friend who you respect and know to say, are you listening? Because I can see it. Can you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I've had good friends say to me, we were just waiting for you to listen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Vontrager is a licensed therapist and family psychotherapist, and she's also just an incredible human being. I got to teach with her at Colorado Christian University, a university we both love. Some of the best students, truly, I really mean this, I have mm-hmm. ever had. We're at Colorado yes. Christian University. Sarah, my tagline this season for Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. In a time when social media has so many negatives around it at Viral Jesus, Mm -hmm. we want to encourage people that you can take ownership of your communication and the way you're talking about your faith, both online and offline. So my question for every guest is, how do you choose to be a redemptive voice when you are in the online
3: space? Tell your story and don't be afraid to let the pain, let what you've been through, move through that, because you'll never know what you're going to say that could give somebody confidence to move through what they're going to be going through. Even if they're not going through it now, mm-hmm. they might look back on it later and say, oh, I remember my friend, that person encouraged me in that way before. And that was for me then. and Now I can use that information. Yeah, Just don't be afraid to tell your story. I think in Annie's book, Remembering God, she taught me how to remember what he's already done. I read that right before Benjamin got sick. Mm. Look for what he's already done. Trust those markers in my life. Let those give me confidence in the future. I can do this again. I can do this again. And so being really willing and free to share that with people, I tell my students, turn around and grab somebody else's hand and show them how it's done. Mm. Do not... Walk forward for yourself. Turn around. That's what I think loving your neighbor looks like these days. Mm. Turn around and reach your hand out and pull somebody else up. Because if you've made it, maybe they look at you and think, maybe I can do it too.
1: Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. So what can we learn from our conversation with Sarah Bontrager? Number one, Sarah says there was no way she could have predicted the train that came running down her track, headed for her family in 2019. And this is what this series is for. It is for the person who couldn't have predicted the train. And I want you to hear it from Sarah and maybe borrow her faith right now if you need to. She said, Jesus turned out to be exactly who he said he was. And I I just, I'm gonna say this again, I'm gonna say it because I want you to receive this. Friend, Jesus will turn out to be exactly who he said he was. Number two, Sarah knew she needed a therapist who was going to be aggressive and tell her the truth. That's exactly how I felt when I got therapy. And so I just want you to know if you're trying to decide to even call a therapist and make an appointment, you need to communicate with them what you're looking for. If you want somebody to really you know, challenge you and be aggressive, tell them that. And if you don't want that, if that's not the communication style that you prefer, then tell them that. Tell your therapist what you want out of the experience. That is one of the best ways I think we can get what we need out of therapy. Number three, Sarah said she saw the Lord sitting next to her son's bed with his arms folded and his legs over her son's bed. She said she saw it as real as you see whatever is in front of you right now. And then she turned away and turned back and the vision was gone. The diagnosis didn't change. The train still came down the track, but Sarah knew Jesus was with her. And that's how she slept for the first time in three days. Friend, Jesus is with you right now. And I need you to know this because we won't all get a vision where we can physically see it. And so I need you to borrow Sarah's. I need you to borrow her vision and know that it applies to you. Jesus is with you right now. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson-Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Well, this concludes our two-part series, I Think I Need a Therapist. I hope it really connected with you and was informative and inspirational, and I hope it all also, taught you to be kinder to yourself. Our next pod class is a three-part series called Three Things Every Person Needs to Know. And I talked to three different people and find out three different things that I think every person needs to know. And it's just a really inspiring series. You're gonna absolutely love it. And so I just thought, you know, how do I really start this new? podcast with a bang, you know, like how do I just come in strong? How do I make a big deal of this new series? Well, you know what I thought, you know, a really good way to do that would be to invite the author of the circle maker, Mark Batterson. I am a massive Mark Batterson fan. Oh my goodness. You are going to love our conversation next week. So I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus.
0: Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling global perspective and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com slash equip.